Are you looking for a new basketball shoe? If so, this is Gary Parrish here to tell you that the New Balance 2-Way V4 features the groundbreaking use of fuel cell technology with fresh foam creating the ultimate combination of rebound and cushioning. Every step feels explosive and dynamic, and the upper construction features a lightweight textile that's supportive and breathable. So whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the 2-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the 2-Way at newbalance.com. Hey there, it's Gary Parrish. Welcome back to the CBS Sports Ion College Basketball Podcast, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black. I'm in a hotel room. You can probably tell in New York City if you're watching on YouTube. Matt Norlander is home in Connecticut. If you're watching on YouTube, please smash the like button like your Brandon Davies. You have consent. All right, dead leg. You spent part of uh, the month of July bouncing around the grassroots circuit. Uh, with first-year Florida coach Todd Golden and his staff, you published a, a two-part series on the experience. Part one dropped Thursday. Smooth little twenty-minute read. Those are always those are always fun. It was it was smooth. Now I don't know if you read through the whole thing, but if you did, I read, re- I read through the whole thing while I was. Was, in that, a rest- was that not a breezy twenty minutes though? It did, and and let me just say something about this. That algorithm is messed up. It's not, that's not a 20-minute read. That, that probably takes you about 13, 14 minutes. So you can shave a couple minutes off with that. Yeah. I, I, I walked to a little Mexican place on 8th Avenue and ordered a queso fundido, and I read 20 minutes of Matt Norlander with Ty Golden. That's how I spent my dinner last night. Okay. Sipping, sipping water, waiting on a queso fundido. And reading a Matt Norlander story. Part two coming today. Tell us uh, what you learned hanging and traveling with the man who has been hired to make Florida basketball nationally relevant again. Before I make this about me, can I make it about you real quick? Right sure. again? Yeah. So yeah. I sure. thought about. All right. So the genesis of this whole story was back in May, thinking about looking at the recruiting calendar, thinking about Peach Jam and trying to get ideas of what. I could write and what would be out there because each each year PCM there are storylines to write, but I wanted to try and do something a little bit different after being particularly PCM focused last year after there was no PCM in 2020. And I thought, well, when's the last time? Because a, a few years ago, I did one day with an unnamed coach and he basically spilled his guts all on background with any identification. And that 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 story received a, a lot of a lot of uh, recognition in his team and, and readership. So I thought maybe I can do this one more time. Uh, but this time, like I'll I'll disclose who I'm who I'm going to be with and try and get as much as possible. And I thought, well, the last time this happened, it's been like a full decade plus. I think it was 2011. If it wasn't 2011, it was 2012. You did this, but I don't think you did what I did. I did five days start to finish with Florida and Todd Golden. I think maybe you did one or two days, but did you not do this with one Tom Izzo a decade plus ago at Peach Jam, right? uh, It wasn't at Peach Jam, but I did do it with Tom Izzo. It was July 2011, and this was when the LeBron James Skills Academy was a thing. So that was in Akron. And I think the two places we were, we might have started in Indianapolis and then went to Akron or started in Akron and then went to Indianapolis, but it was maybe three days with Tom Izzo and it was the same deal like um you know uh, private planes and uh you know they, they they actually drove had somebody drive from uh from Michigan State to where we were like the Michigan State van like you know tricked out uh sort of sort of drive from you know one location to another within Indianapolis 
if we were in Indianapolis, wherever we were, um, so that they could travel in style while on the road. And then obviously the private plane. And, you know, we stayed at the same hotel. We were every minute that we weren't sleeping, we were together. That's the truth. And it was a great experience. I, I, I really enjoyed that. I'm glad I did that. Yeah, no, it was definitely good. Uh, served as a little bit of an inspiration, but it, it had been 11 years since we had done something like this. Plus, Golden, he's he's young, new coach, first time ever running a program. And while, sure, there would be something to say about doing this for four or five days on the road with a mid-major program and like enduring the grind of significant commercial flights... Uh, I no, I'm, no, I was. I was like, no, I'm going to do this with a school that has private planes because you can also, for storytelling purposes, you can just get, and it's detailed in the story. You can get faster from one place to another. Like the, it is such a major, major difference. So a few takeaways from this. One is that um, for Golden, the jump up and how he can recruit not just in program prestige, but private tr- air travel is absurd uh i'd only been able to be on a private plane once before in my life before this so i I had experienced it literally on one flight but i took five flights in four days or whatever it was and to perish i know you know but to, to explain to the audience it is the difference is grand canyon sized from flying commercial versus going up to a private airport pulling up and you are on the plane and in the air anywhere from five to 12 minutes later I mean, it's a complete joke and it's necessary in these recruiting wars where if you're a head coach, the more players you can get in front of, the better, because the idea is, you know, the more places you can be seen, maybe that helps you overall in recruiting. But having said that, a lot of the story, and this gets into it deeper in part two, is that Golden, he's taking this approach of having the Florida job. And while you might think young guy, 37, second youngest coach of a power conference team to John Shire, who will be 35 in less than a month here. Golden's 37. You know, you'd expect a lot of energy and maybe this go, 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 get him, get him, get him. We're going to see, try and get as many, you know, offers out there, scholarship interest. We're going to make noise. In Florida, beyond, recruit the country recruit the country nationally, perish. That's not exactly what's happening here. Uh, some of this is detailed in part one, and again, there's more in part two. But what I found interesting was that Golden is basically in no rush to recruit high school players. And the approach he's taking right now, obviously, I want your thoughts on this. They would have been basically a fireable offense five or six years ago. But now the way Golden looks at this, it's a necessary part of the job. He is going to prioritize the transfer portal every single spring. He told me, unless we have a top 50 level kind of player and we know that as a freshman, they can come in and we expect them to be significant contributors, like borderline starting level players. And if not a starter, like one of the two, two guys off the bench kind of deal, our priority will be the transfer portal and it will be getting the best possible talent out of the state of Florida. And then we'll see where pieces can fit because the way he's building a parish He's expecting freshmen to understand if you're not super talented, you're probably not getting a lot of playing time your first year. It's one thing for John Calipari, even though obviously he plays super talented freshman GP. It's one thing for Cal to kind of use this tactic and recruit aggressively and be very upfront and transparent. I was surprised to learn just how patient Golden is. Like They don't have a lot of scholarship offers out to a lot of guys right now. And he basically told me the recruiting model is outdated. 
the way that a lot of coaches, in his opinion, are still looking at how you're going out in April and July is not the way that he's going to do this. He did not, when he got the job, he didn't go on the road to recruit in July once for high school players. They recruited transfers. Obviously, the portal and immediate eligibility has changed all of this, but I found it interesting. I know you read part one. Part two is literally going up as we're recording here, um, so you're missing a little bit of some of the context to what he was talking about. That'll be linked in the story, but just your thoughts on Golden taking this kind of approach because there's no guarantee it will work. Obviously, so many coaches are leaning into the portal GP, but to hear the head coach at a power conference at a significant program, top 25 level like Florida, say, we're not going to prioritize high school recruiting nearly as much as it was done two, three years ago. And the transfer portal, we will be getting guys uh, annually and heavily. Just, you know, your takeaways on uh, on Golden's crack at this Florida job. And if you think this will work. Uh, I, I don't know if it'll work for him. Uh, and I, I don't mean that in any other way than it can't work for everybody. You know, there, there are winners and losers every season. Guys get hired and guys get fired every year. Um, but I think this is the right approach to recruiting at the high major level in this era of college basketball. Like I was about to say um, in the column, that's the smartest thing I, 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 I thought he said. His, his approach to recruiting high school players. But, and I don't mean this, and you'll get the point. I don't know that it's smart as much as it should be a no-brainer. Like, if I was the head coach at a place like Florida right now, I would only recruit five-star and borderline five-star guys that I thought I could get. I don't want somebody ranked 85th in the country in his high school class. I don't want somebody ranked 115th in the country in his high school class because, like Todd explained, and I think he's right, if if that guy cannot play for you as a freshman, he's probably not going to be on your campus as a sophomore because of the transfer portal. And I was going to say the one-time transfer waiver, but now it's a million-time transfer waiver. You could transfer whenever you want to. So um, I, I really think it's interesting uh, it, it'll it'll be interesting to watch how this plays out going forward, not just at Florida, but around the country. I I I, I think what you're going to find is a whole bunch of players ranked between 75 and 200 in their high school class who used to get offers routinely from a Kansas and a Florida and an Indiana and a UCLA, and those offers just aren't going to be there anymore for these exact reasons. A guy ranked 115th in the country probably can't play for Kansas as a freshman or Florida as a freshman. So prioritize the transfer portal, leave that guy alone, and only take high-end freshmen that can compete in their first year and blend them with transfers and your returning players. To me, that is the recipe uh, to recruiting in this era. Yeah, I think there's a good chance that is going to wind up being a recipe. Now, he did say there are other programs. He did name a program, and this is in part two. I withheld the name of the program uh, that he said is not taking this approach. And to him, it's 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 not the right. Now, we'll see how that SEC program does. Uh, but And GP, I'll tell you offline. But it's it certainly, he was not afraid. To, like he's, Even Golden said, I think this was in part one, uh, he's not going to try and recruit top 15 players and waste his time. He said, unless a top 15 level kind of player, top 20 level kind of player, which is either one and done or borderline one and done, unless they are from Florida or they are 
a Gator fan. Like right. he is not going to waste his time. He's not going to do this. And part of that is after being at San Francisco as an assistant, as head coach, the one thing that gets obviously old real quick. And, and I know plenty of uh, coaches do wind up listening to this podcast at the, at the mid and low major level. So what I'm about to say is going to hit home a ton you find a player, no one, almost nobody cares about it. You, your, your competition for a, a recruit is schools at your level, maybe even below your level. Maybe you're the first guy even in on them. And you put this time in for sometimes well over a year, maybe sometimes even two, close to two years. And then the player gets bigger, gets better. And then he starts getting noticed. And what happened with Golden with a number of guys at San Francisco is they were in on him, spent about a year recruiting the player. And then suddenly he's just a tick up above WCC level. And he's gone. Or the second UCLA or Cal Berkeley, Stanford, get a look at him. They give him an offer. They're gone. He He's not going to mess around. And I thought it was notable for the head coach at Florida. Again, really a, a good case. This is a top 20 job in the country to say, I'm not going to waste my time with a top 15 prospect because if the Blue Bloods get in there, if Kentucky, Duke, Carolina, Kansas, they start getting in there and getting mixed. Why? What do why, what are we doing this for? You know, it's actually uh, the same thing. Coincidentally enough, uh, I did. Ha- I get the first day I was in Chicago. Brad Stevens there was there to watch his son. So I got to talk with Brad for a bit and it was a wonderful conversation. But that was the thing that Brad had mentioned was because we got to talking about his current job and and his time at Butler and all this stuff in the state of college troops, all of it. But he got into like why I was there and what I was watching and all these coaches are all around. And he said, Man, the thing I really don't miss at all, the thing that I could not stand was finishing second and recruiting. I yeah. could not stand it. I could handle getting out early. If you tell us we're not close, it's fine. I hated finishing second. And Golden's kind of the same way. So to hear him say, we're going to recruit the best players we possibly can, but there's also, there, there is something of a ceiling with the exception of if there's a, you know, I want to be clear on this. If there's a player that's 50 minutes from Florida's campus that lives in Florida that they're recruiting, that they think they've got a viable shot, that's a top 10 player in the country, yeah, they're going to recruit him. But if it's this number 16 overall prospect and he's from you know, the middle of Texas, Florida's probably not going to get involved in that kind of guy. So um, Golden's a, he's a bright dude. There's plenty of people who are skeptical whether he can make this work. The, the jump from USF to UF is significant. Um, some people think he will. Some people think he won't. We don't know the answer to that. But uh, I did not sense, and I mentioned this in part two, I didn't sense being with him, granted it is the middle of July GP, I didn't sense a lot of pressure with him. Like He, he didn't seem to be overwhelmed, uh, put together a really good staff. He even also mixed in, and this ends part one and goes into part two. I don't know how many other coaches did this, but it's his first offseason. He went home. Like They were on the road Wednesday into Thursday, Chicago, he goes back to Gainesville to practice with his team. All but two players were on campus. Then did a 7 a.m. morning practice before he went on on the road. And the biggest reason why he did that was it was really important to him. They retained like six guys to show the guys like the people that mean the most to us are the guys that are actually on our roster right now. Every single person that is attending the University of Florida and playing for the men's basketball program means more than any single recruit that's out there. So we wanted to show that to him and prove it. And I don't know how many coaches did that, but uh, that was an interesting, unexpected. I didn't know that going into the assignment that he was going to say, actually, I'm, I'm bailing on the recruiting trail for about 18 hours here to get in a practice at the end of one afternoon and a, a workout the next morning. It was, uh, it was pretty enlightening overall. Um, a whole bunch of stuff here. Uh, as for, you mentioned some people are skeptical that this will work, Todd Golden at Florida, because it's such a big jump from San Francisco to Florida. Um, it's, it's a big jump in 
in terms of uh you know the the size of the program and the expectations of the program it's a big jump like you know geographically <laughs> from yes. from from you know california to florida and he's not from that area i'll also include this real quick gp he's not from that area um you know he went to saint mary's cut his teeth uh at columbia spent two seasons one as an assistant under bruce pearl auburn so quick stop in the sec and then now to usf go ahead yeah um so listen I, I, there are guys that i think are gonna be home run hires who just you know can't ever get it off the ground sometimes at at, at schools like this so you know uh, uh, very few things in this profession are are certainties. Uh, Rick Patino was always a certainty. Uh, John Calipari a certainty. Bill Self a certainty. Um, you know, but but outside of that, you know, we'll see. But I I thought the hire was totally sensible. Young guy, super smart, quality coach, did great things at a place that hadn't done great things in a long time. Like you know, checks a lot of boxes for me. I'm, I, I'll I'll believe in those guys and and think that they'll figure out how to get it done, but a, as always, we'll see. Um, in terms of not recruiting, you know, top fifteen guys, you know, five star guys, unless they're from Florida or have some sort of Florida ties, um, I think that's mostly right. Although um, I don't know if they were top fifteen guys, but they were certainly five star prospects. Corey Brewer was from Tennessee and went to Florida. Well, five he did mention, guys. yeah, he mentions basically. Bradley Florida, Bill, nearby states, Tennessee, and then East Coast. But yes, um, continue. But yeah, you, yeah, you are. Yeah. Golden brought yeah. that up in conversation. He researched every single good player on every single good Florida team to determine what's been the blueprint. Like the dude, he's smart. He does his research. So he did think this out. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Corey Brewer from Tennessee. Uh, Bradley Bill's from St. Louis. They both ended up at Florida. Um, so I, I think you can get those recruiting wins uh, in certain places. But being smart about it and, and knowing where to pick your spots like that. That's a, a key part of recruiting. There was a coach, I won't name him, but you know, he was at a power five job and I thought of this when you were talking about the Brad Stevens thing. Um, he, he was always in there with these five-star guys and then he would always lose, you know, finish third or finish fifth. You know, he'd make the top five, but he'd never finish first. So he was in there with all these guys every year and never got them because at the end of the day, they'd go to Duke or Kentucky or North Carolina or wherever. And I remember talking to another coach one time and he, and he said that that guy's going to get fired because he's chasing the wrong people every single year. Like he, he, you know, he, you know, he gets off on getting listed as right. they're going to get a visit from this five star. And it, like, what is the point if the guys, the guy's not coming with you. So what, so why are you wasting your time? You'd be so much smart, smarter instead of prioritizing these three five stars that you're not going to get. Prioritize the three four stars that you actually can get, and don't waste the time because that by the time you miss on these five star guys that you were never going to get, and everybody knew you were never going to get, the other three guys have have already picked where they're going, and now what are you doing? And that guy ultimately did get fired. It's interesting. Brad said the thing he hated the most was finishing second in recruiting. Because uh, I had this conversation with him one time, and also had the conversation with, I guess it was Cody Zeller. Uh, Co- yeah, does this yes. make sense? Yes. yes, yes, yes. Like Brad was like, and I'm paraphrasing here, but he was like, "We're coming off, and I hope the timing is right. Either way, you'll get the point. We're coming off back-to-back appearances in the national title game. He's an in-state guy. 
I have a great relationship with them. Like, and at the end of the day, I just I cannot beat Indiana. You know, at the end of the day, I'm at Butler. I'm not beating Indiana for that guy. Like, and and he he more or less told me if I remember correctly, like when that happened, when I realized we've been to title games, we've been nationally ranked, we've had pros. I've got a great relationship with the family, but I still at Butler cannot beat Indiana for that guy. That that's when it was that was I, I it was frustrating, but also eye opening. You know, um, about it doesn't matter how great you are. You got to have a certain type of job to get that type of guy. And, you know, Todd understanding that before he really even gets his, his, um, you know, uh, feet underneath him at, at Florida, I think is, is wise and speaks to, uh, among the reasons I, I, I would bet on him doing well there. Another factor, he's following Michael White instead of Billy Donovan, right. you know, Mike Mike did a pretty good job at Florida, but it wasn't yes. close to what yeah, like a pretty good job at Florida. But it wasn't Billy Donovan. And so, you know, it's the old saying in the in the profession, you want to follow the guy after the guy, not the guy. And that's another thing working in Todd's favor. He's following the guy after the guy and not the guy. And, you know, as you detailed in the story, you you talked to Billy. And, you know, Todd had, um, uh, after getting the job, immediately reached out to Billy. They talked multiple times. I think that's it, that's not unusual. Uh, most coaches do that. But I think it's also another thing that suggests what you just said that I don't think was in the story, not not part one that I read, um, that he researched every good player. Yeah, and, that's and, in part two. Yeah, that, that's, that's in part two. Okay. Yeah, but, like, that's two. another smart thing. Like, let me look at how Florida has had its most success over the years where did these players come from um is there some because the other thing that that suggests is and you did point out this type of stuff in in part one um oh, when you're recruiting sometimes you go to games just so the grassroots coach can see you there even if you're not recruiting any of his guys so that you can text him later and be like hey i liked your team yes uh, and and another part of this is okay um, we got Florida got this five star guy or this four star guy from outside of our natural recruiting uh, area back in 2012. Who who did he play grassroots for? Oh, that guy's still coaching. So that guy has sent a guy to Florida before. Let's make sure I've got that relationship. All of this stuff matters. It does. Uh, I'll, a few quickies before we move on and wrap and talk a, a couple other things. Um, one, uh, General Peach Jam uh, thing. We, we were there for uh, about 24, less than 24 hours. Uh, remains a great event. Uh, that that venue is great. Uh, GP more and more. I just I feel like it's almost out, outgrown the Riverview Park Activity Center. I don't know where you put it instead. It, it's iconic in that place. But man, it's just there was no, no general public last year because COVID restrictions were still in place. It, it went back as as would be this year. But you can still keep doing it there. But man, it is just and like you add in the Bronny James factor. Now, maybe we won't have a prospect on But like, you know, people just lining up outside these doors. It just it feels like a, a fire hazard half the time. But I love the venue and I hope it doesn't change. But part of me when I was there, I was thinking, man, this event, even though they even expanded the venue, I don't know if it's outgrown it or not, but uh, but I do love the place. Uh, Golden, uh, one of his go-to radio stations on Spotify or whatever, Counting Crows. There is a Counting Crows reference uh, in the in the story there, which I appreciated. Um, uh, you'll notice in part two, Golden and, and uh, Kevin Hovde, who's one of the assistants there, they are quoted but they are talking about players and the players aren't identified. The one thing about this story that I had to write around and it was really tough. And frankly, there was 
like three or four really good anecdotes that they were kind of talking about. Cause I was, you know, everything was on background, but almost nothing was off the record, but you can't be quoted talking about players that aren't committed to you and signed to your program. It's a violation. Like I could have easily written this story and, and like gotten golden staff, just, you know, assaulted with NCAA violations. You can't t- speak about prospects. So, um, that was the other tricky part. If you read part two, you'll notice they're talking about players. Sometimes you can't really, well, by design, you can't tell who they are talking about. But I, in exchange for not identifying the prospects they're looking at, I wanted to instead have you get their unfiltered thoughts about some of these players. Uh, and they looked at, geez, I probably saw north of 12 with Golden over the course of four plus days there. So, uh, again, really cool assignment. Uh, happy to get to do it. Love the job. My thanks to the bosses at CBS for letting me do it. And obviously, Florida, like, Golden was up for it because let's be honest here, like it also probably helps him. But Florida's administration also had to clear, you know, having someone not employed by the university to uh, to go on the plane and do all that stuff. So um, good stuff. It'll be linked in the podcast. And uh, that's the, uh, the the big end of July project. Just a, a real insight as to what it means, not just to run a program, but literally to take it after you've never been there. And uh, I thought Golden did a pretty good job of, of painting what is a somewhat complex picture. If you haven't read it yet, you can find it at cbssports.com. Moving on, a couple of significant recruiting developments this week. Kentucky got a five-star prospect. Iowa State got a five-star prospect. We'll get into those things next. But first, a word from our sponsors. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So there were a couple of significant recruiting developments this week. Kentucky got a commitment from five-star prospect Justin Edwards, Iowa State. Got a commitment from five-star prospect Omaha Blue. I wrote a column after Edwards committed to Kentucky. We'll get to that in a moment. But first, Omaha Blue to Iowa State. He's ranked 12th in the class of 2023. Makes him, according to the Iowa State Daily, uh, the highest-rated recruit in Iowa State men's basketball history. Big get for for TJ Osselberger. He convinced the five-star in-state product to stay home. Some background, Norlander. Mm-hmm. You know what, do you know why Omaha Baloo is named Omaha? I can only draw one conclusion to that, my man. His mm-hmm. parents were huge Counting Crows fans and that he was born in the city of Omaha. He was born in Omaha. And his parents just said, F it, let's call him Omaha. If that's the case, hold on. If that's the case and we get named that, what's your name? I'll, I'll give you mine after. Where? What are you named? Memphis Parish. I was born in Memphis. Memphis. Parish. I would be Denver Norlander. 
Denver and Norlander. Denver, coincidentally enough, the SID at Florida's first name is Denver. Denver. So there we go. Um, yeah, I would be Memphis Parish, Denver Norlander, and Omaha Blue. When I saw this, uh, first, first, my first thought was good for TJ Osterberger because Iowa State's now got the number three ranked recruiting class in 2023. Right now, they've got two, three players committed, two top 35 guys. And including Omaha Blue, who again is ranked twelfth in the class of two thousand twenty-three. My second thought was: Remember when Iowa State fans were concerned they were just going to be a feeder system for the Blue Bloods when Tyrese Hunter uh, entered the transfer portal? They were all up in arms. They thought it was the end of everything for Iowa State uh, 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 possessing talent within the program. And now here you are. Here's the top three recruiting classes in America right now: Duke, Kentucky, and Iowa State. All right. Chances Iowa State is Duke, Kentucky, Iowa State when we look up in three months. Oh, probably not. But like, so, but let's. Yeah, hey, let's, I'm not trying to bring them down. But hey, look, look, good right now. But these, yeah, these yeah. Let, let, let's live in the moment, Norlander. Moment. All right, let's. We're living in the moment. How about this though? All seriousness. Also, Berger doing this is yet another thing in his short tenure so far at Iowa State that is giving Cyclones fans not just optimism for the future. But validation over it got so, you know, dismal under Steve Prome. They were like, I don't want to hear the excuses about COVID and all. No, no, we need a complete reboot. Sometimes that happens and a fan base is correct. Sometimes it happens and a fan base might be misguided. In this case, all indications were that Iowa State fans and obviously the administration, they had to they had to want it to do it as well and, and buy Prome out of his contract. They were right. Getting a five-star talent. This is the exact thing. By the way, this is the exact thing Golden was talking about. In-state, high-level talent. If Omaha was an in-state talent in Illinois, how confident are we that Iowa State gets him? Or if he's out in California, there's no shot. But he had a chance there. Altsburger gets it done. And now the Cyclones moving forward uh, have even more to look forward to after Iowa State clearly overachieved relative to expectations last season in TJ's first year. Um, so th- that was a big get for Iowa State. It came um, shortly after Kentucky added another five-star. That is Justin Edwards, six-seven wing, ranked third in the class of 2023. He is the third five-star prospect in this class to commit to Kentucky. Robert Dillingham, a point guard, is another, and Reed Shepard, a combo guard, is another. So Kentucky now has the second-best recruiting class in America Duke with the first, and I didn't want to use that development to write about, oh, John Calipari is recruiting at a high level because like they, 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 that's never not been the case. Um, so what I decided to do on Monday night after this news um, uh, was made official uh, with uh, Justin Edwards committing to Kentucky live on CBS Sports HQ is uh, revisit something that I remember saying Basically, every time in advance of name, image, and likeness rights becoming a reality um, about what would happen when name, image, and likeness rights became a reality. Because in advance of it becoming a real thing, which was last July, so it's been here for about a year now, uh, we spent and other people spent years talking about what would it look like? What would it do? How would it change the sport? And one of the things I consistently said whenever this conversation um, was brought up is that um, obviously student athletes will have, in some cases, lots and lots and lots of money in their pockets. 
um, legally above board. Um, more players will get money than than some people are telling you. Do you remember the people who were screaming, uh, this will only be the, uh, uh, it was only matter for a handful of guys. Well, that, that's obviously not true. I, I, I insisted that would not be the case. And I said, you know what? It's not going to change the order of things. Very much, if at all, the teams that are that prioritize men's basketball now and are good at it, um, they'll continue to prioritize it and be good at it. I said consistently, if you look at the five national champions pre-NIL and the five recruiting classes pre-NIL, and then once we get five years post-NIL and do the exact same thing, it won't look much different at all. And now here we are. Pre-NIL, for a five-year stretch, um, the number one and number two recruiting classes in the country, in some order, were, were Duke and Kentucky. Now we here we are post-NIL. Duke and Kentucky have the two best recruiting classes. Um, we've had one national champion since name, image, and likeness rights became a reality. It's a blue blood, Kansas. Um, the preseason number one is either going to be Gonzaga, which has been number one pre-NIL, or North Carolina, which is another blue blood. If you look at the four best recruiting classes right now, according to 24-7 Sports, Duke, Kentucky, Iowa State, UConn, Baylor, that's the top five. Those programs, four of those five, won four of the final nine NCAA tournaments before name and likeness rights became a reality. Uh, those programs, of course, being Duke, Kentucky, UConn, and Baylor. So I, I just thought it was a, a, a perfect reason or opportunity, rather, to revisit that point. Name, image, and likeness is here. Uh, players, in some cases, are becoming multi-millionaires. But the way we observe the sport, what matters, what doesn't, who matters, who doesn't, who's good, who's not, who's recruiting, who is it, it all looks roughly the same with rare exception. Okay, so a couple things here. One, um, I realized this at the tail end of my Florida trip, just to the, the graphic we have on the screen here on the YouTube. If you are watching, go ahead and nudge that like button if you could. Uh, NIL as a topic in general, it basically almost never came up with Golden and his staff. Not that it's not there. Florida has a collective and it's building it out. And not that it isn't still a factor, but... I almost didn't realize until it was near the end of the trip. I was like, we've barely talked about how NIL is impacting the way that Golden is trying to recruit his program. Um, not that it isn't there, but clearly that was not, uh, at least it wasn't something at front of conversation in the here and the now. Now I did, you know, in the process of being on the road, I did wind up talking to a couple other coaches and, um, that still winds up being one of the, one of the bigger things. And even Steven's, uh, in Chicago, that was like one of the first things he, he brought up in terms of like, where's the sport going? What are your thoughts? And et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think for the most part, you are correct. There will and should be situations uh, where players that might have gone elsewhere are going to have opportunities to go to a certain school either relatively close to where they are. And you can make this case for Omaha, sure, I guess. Uh, but also elsewhere where they have an opportunity to to make more because they might be guy two, three, or four, as opposed to guy six, seven, eight at a higher school. And also on this note, I won't, I won't share names. I won't share schools here, but um, 
when I was on the plane with Golden, I think flying back from Chicago, um, there was discussion about a couple of players on the transfer market who wound up going places like Florida was looking at Florida looked the, the net went wide when it came to transfers. And there were a couple of players who they wondered if they might get real interest from. And then they came to learn that a couple of players that they didn't get went elsewhere. And this is something golden told me on the record. Like they did not and have not and are not promising a single cent to any player in NIL. It's more like get here. We are building something. But if you are coming to us and saying, what can you give me? It's not going to be like, well, we can maybe get you 50. They're not even entertaining that conversation. Um, other schools are. And yeah, couple- I, I would say I've, I've said um, multiple times in this podcast, like yeah. that's smart by Todd. Oh, that's right. I don't think that's smart. Well, if, you, I, yeah. if you're not talking money right now at the high major level, you're going to miss out on some guys. Well, he, I think also he literally can't. Uh, like he is, but I know what you, I know what you're saying, Parrish. I know, I know what you're saying. I got, you. Yeah, I got well, you. other people are, I know, I know. And so that very point with NIL, a couple of players who my bottom line with this GP is this, mm-hmm. there are a couple of transfers. I definitely would register these guys as top 40, top 50 level transfers that are going to play places next season that if NIL wasn't in place, I don't think they wind up going to those schools. And so I think that's good for those programs, though. That's great. Let the market bear out, and let's get a couple of guys who are talented maybe going to spots they wouldn't have. But broadly, I think in basketball, and particularly at the top, which is the point of your column, GP, I think this was a breezy three minutes, maybe even two minutes, by the way. I mean, you were in and out. My man was picking up the food and gone. Yeah, quick takeout order there. Yeah, I wasn't messing. Uh, I'm not messing around. I can say everything I need to say in 650 words. There you go. Um, which is a wonderful throwback to the to the the Choops Arena blog era. Uh, you're right. At the very top, it, it looks that way. But I do like for now. Live in the moment. Recruiting rankings. Iowa State third. You know, we do get these uh, these exceptions to the rule here and there. Yeah, but the Iowa State thing, uh, and I'm not trying to diminish it, but it's like because there's a top 15 guy who was raised in Iowa and like dream has has literally said it was my dream to go to Iowa, Iowa state. And so like that, that's the explanation for that. In addition to I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, I don't know. I'm assuming name image and likeness plays some role there uh, as well, but like, whatever I, you know, I, I, that's an explanation, but um, that's the other thing NIL does is it can give you, as you pointed out, um, you know, if you're a not a blue blood but still a high major program, um, one way to to maybe compete against them is to prioritize a certain guy, and say we're the ones who can make you, you know, you're you're the top ranked recruit in our class. Not you'd be the fourth in theirs, and we can we can get you more in nil than than they're gonna be able to get you. Like uh, uh, this is something we talked about, you know, for years before this became a reality as well. Um, all it takes is one super wealthy guy saying, I want this basketball program to matter in recruiting. I'm willing to spend literally millions of dollars in name, image, and likeness deals in recruiting. And I, I don't care who you are. Like if Penn State wanted to have a top 10 recruiting class, if if they just if they had a booster who was willing to spend $20 million to make it happen, that could happen. Like that, 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 and so that's another interesting aspect of it. Yes, Duke and Kentucky are going to flourish in this space, but literally anybody, or, or not anybody, but m- lots of schools can if they've got the the right money behind it. When and, and it's all, you know, I know there's some gray area, but 
Yes. It's happening. It's happening. One one follow-up on this, GP. Uh, media days for football are happening. Pac-12 is literally going on as we're recording this podcast on Friday morning. SEC was last week. Big 10 has happened. Big 12 has happened. ACC has happened. So the, the five big conferences in football have either concluded or are about to conclude here. And a couple of commissioners continue to express not just the idea that they need federal oversight on how to do this, whether that's going to happen or not. I don't want to get down that... Uh, that rabbit hole, but I have heard a little bit more of from those, from those. And then a, a coach on the, on the trail last week was saying that they were talking their AD and they want to figure out a way to cap name, image, and likeness. I don't think this is happening. Like, I know it's kind of a big question here, GP. And I, that's called, that's, that's called illegal. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, uh, hey, hey, I, here's, here's what next time a coach tells you, they want to cap name, image, and likeness for student athletes. Ask them if they <laughs> want to cap coaching salaries. Exactly. But yet, here's what's it's just wowing, Parrish. I'm not saying all coaches believe it because they don't, but there is this notion still out there of like, can't we can we get our arms around this thing and make it so that we can it's it's still it's still college. They're still technically not professionals. I'm never surprised by what comes out of the mouth of administrators and and but this is still make no mistake about it. While some people in the industry and the greater college sports industrial complex are in favor of NIL, I would say even some are in favor of doing Open market capitalism uh, at uh, at its most extreme. There's still a significant portion of people that are looking at ways of trying to make rules against Saban. I think Saban said this as well. If he didn't, my apologies to uh, the greatest football coach in the history of the sport. Where they want to just they want to put a cap on it, and it feels like behind the scenes they're still trying to figure out: is there any possible way that we can that we can do this? So it just ties into our NIL discussion here, and, and I. That- I don't know. It's, I mean, uh, yeah, uh, we we'll we'll spend a lot of time on this some yeah. other time. But like that would have to be collectively bargained. You would have to allow student athletes to to the reason you can have a salary cap in the NFL or a salary cap in the NBA is because it's collectively bargained. Um, they want to treat student athletes like something other than employees, at, and 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 not allow them to unionize. At which point, you can't collectively bargain with them. And then if you try to cap what they're earning. Like the Supreme Court has told them, you will lose. You'll lose. So I I think ultimately we could get to a place where there is what amounts to a salary cap. And like, you know, college basketball programs have general managers, player personnel, uh, you know, president of basketball operations, people like that. Uh, But that'll be a day that comes after uh, we're calling football players and and, and men's basketball players and perhaps other student athletes. employees yeah 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 and and we're we're paying them and then we collectively bargain you know the terms of of our agreement i i do actually think we will get there someday but that's where you got to get before you can start trying to cap what these student athletes can 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 make that's what the courts have have already shown us quite this is uh this really is a topic for another time we don't have the time for it but the question becomes when you do that do you do it on sport by sport basis you can't unionize NCAA athletes overall. The interests of a field hockey player are not the interests of the starting quarterback at the University of Georgia. They're not the same. You're never going to be able to unionize that big. So if you go sport by sport, even within that, how are you represented? Um, it is a. It's not that it can't be done. Doing it would be really hard. And there's evidence to suggest uh, the strength of such a union might actually be. It might not be beneficial to plenty of college athletes in that space, uh, but yes, I, there's and there's also conversation about on a conference by conference basis 
can you establish rules as a league and say, if you come here, just understand that we that our rules in, in regard to name, image, and likeness, you can make this, but like, you know, the numbers that were put out there with me was like, we just don't think a player should have at, at, at the college level uh, should be capable of inducing re- recruiting payments, which is all part of this, and and making you know north of five million dollars a year while one of his teammates has has nothing. I I don't I don't care. <laughs> it's so stupid. I don't care, Parrish. I'm just telling you, this is still out there and being discussed over whether or not they can. They can. It's antithetical, but I just yeah. But like, Tom, Tom Tom Brady makes more than his teammates. It's fine. You know, Juan Soto is going to make more than his teammates. Fine. More than the rest of the damn team, man. <laughs> Damian Lillard makes more than his teammates. It's fine. Why is it such a problem in college locker rooms if one guy's getting more money than the other guy? Yeah, I know. I it's, know. Just, it's, it's that all these all these theories can just be swatted out of the air. Um, hey, oh, I got another one for you. John right. Calipari makes more than uh, other SEC coaches and other coaches on his staff. Somehow they managed to it just it's it's fine. The Georgia football coach just got a hundred and twelve million dollars. The Georgia coach's contract actually is what's sparked a conversation with with a coach. Well, well, well Nick Saban, who is who is awesome and brilliant in many ways. Um, that goes without saying. But at SEC Media Day, he was like, I'm just worried about the competitive balance of the sport. It's not what? Nick Saban's job to worry about the competitive well, balance. Well, there is no competitive balance in the sport. You think there's competitive balance between what Alabama is doing and what Kansas State is doing? Like, what are we talking about? And, you know, it's like, you know, some schools can pay more for players than other schools. Is that fair? Well, some some schools can play more for coaches than other schools. Is that fair? Right. Like my, my alma mater lost its last two football coaches to power five schools that could pay more. That's just the way it works. And uh, no coach has a problem with that. But when it comes to players, they got a real problem with the competitive. It's all nonsense. It, 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 this isn't nearly the problem. A lot of them make it out to be in terms of the amounts of money going around. It's just a, it's just new. And people complain about new things because it's 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 not what they um, it's not the business they are now wor- and I am I am understanding of this they are not working in the business that they were working in Absolutely. when they when they got into the business and I am understanding of that it yep. is way different this ain't what they signed up for nope. but it is what they're in and it's not as bad as they they think I don't think let's get out of here. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Hawk. Shouts to Larnell. Thank you guys once again for listening. I am College Basketball Podcast. If you're not subscribed, please go subscribe anywhere you subscribe to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Five stars. Nice review at Apple. There's more of us than there are of them. We will talk to you again real soon. Till then, take care. the weaponization of rap lyrics in the criminal justice system in the new documentary as we speak rap music on trial now streaming exclusively on paramount plus head to paramountplus.com to try it free terms apply